this is week three of our vital series, our walk through 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, we're talking about how love is the vital, uh, the important, most ascension, essential function of the body. Now, up to this point, uh, Kevin talked about in week one, uh, verses one through three, talking about uh, the insufficiency of gifts uh, without love. Last week, Nate talked about cha- uh, verses four through seven, talking about what love is, what it looked like, and more importantly, what it didn't look like. And this week, we're going to talk about verses 8 through 10. So um, feel free to start turning to your Bibles, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, 8 through 10, whether that's electronic media, whatever you use. And while you do that, I have a question for you. How do you, how do you want your life to be remembered? Have you ever thought about how, how your life will be remembered, leaving a legacy, um, thought about maybe being famous. Uh, you see, I'm a history buff. I love history. I especially love early American history. And I love reading about men and women who have done the great things in the world, who have made great sacrifices to basically change the world around them. And to be honest, I, I'll admit I daydream sometimes about being one of those people. And uh, I think if most of us are honest, we do some self-reflection, uh, we'll admit that, you know, we care about what our legacy will be. And, uh, I mean, if you think about it, even from the very beginning, when the people of the world came together to build the Tower of Babel to, as a monument to themselves, civilizations have been trying to leave their mark. They build statues, they tell stories, whether written, whether uh, uh, oral. They'll build these huge construction projects, all to leave their mark. Even as individuals, we do it. Uh, we try to leave our values down to our children. We'll journal or, or write a family history to pass down. We may take thousands of pictures or video clips, make mo- uh, home movies, scrapbooks, photo albums. Uh, some of us <laughs> will even leave a day-to-day journal of our lives on social media. Um, <laughs> I got to admit, I am not a uh, social media guy. I'm a social media dinosaur. Pastor Kevin, on the other hand, is a social media guru. And so what I would thought would be cool, seeing as how this is his, his last Sunday in Israel, is if I did a selfie and posted on social media. So if you don't mind, and feel free to join me. If you've got a smartphone or something like that, um, he'd love to see it. But what I'm going to do... Yeah, if I can get it to work. Like I said, I'm not that good at it. What, what I'm going to do is take a selfie with all of you guys, so please make some noise. Here we go. Oh, hey, let, let me take another one. I got the mic in there. There you go. I told you I wasn't that good at it. Pastor Kevin is really good at that. And so I'm going to post that on uh, social media. Feel free to take, do the same, maybe do it under hashtag hanging with Drew, hashtag awaken church, something like that. I think you'll get a kick out of that. So why do we do that? Short answer is I have no idea. <laughs> but what I do know is this. Most of what we think is important is not as important as what we think. And you can make that a little more personal by changing the we and add an I in there. Most of what I think is important is not as important as I think. You know, we tend to strive for things that society or culture gives values to. And most of the time, there's no meaning or no value outside of our narrow worldview. So what should we be striving for if we want to leave a legacy? Well, today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about 
what we can strive for that will leave a legacy, uh, has a lasting meaning to it, and is eternal. And so what we want to focus on today is learning about what to do, what to have for a legacy, if we're going to continue to have an impact more for the kingdom long after we're gone. If you're a note taker, today's note is titled Love Seeking the Eternal, uh, but let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for allowing us to come here to gather in fellowship to praise and give glory and honor to you. Lord, I ask that you open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us today. The message is not mine, it is yours, and I'm just a tool that is delivering it for you. So just open our hearts to receive it. Uh, be with us today. In your name we pray, amen. So let's just jump right into it. Um, again, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 10. If you're not already there, it's page 1155 in my Bible, if that helps. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Okay, we have three verses, and because I'm a pretty simple guy, I broke it down into three application points or three take-home points. And to help us remember, I came up with what I'm calling the three Gs, or gifts, grace, and growth. But let's just jump right into point one. Uh, write this down. Gifts don't last, love does. Gifts don't last, love does. So reading the uh, the first part of verse 8, it's pretty easy to get love lasting. I mean, from the very beginning of the verse, it starts out with a three-word sentence, love never ends, period. I looked up several different uh, translations, English translations, and all of them um, were a three-word sentence. Some of them said love never fails, but all of them were a three-word statement of fact. Wouldn't it be great if all of Scripture was that easy? <laughs> I read Scripture pretty regularly. It's, it's something I started when I first got saved, um, and it's really opened my eyes to things I, I wouldn't have seen before. Um, I don't see things easy and clearly, and so it requires me normally to go into Scripture and read things over and over again, pray over it before it finally pays off, and, and the Holy Spirit reveals things to me that I hadn't seen before. This isn't one of those verses, though. Um, I don't have to take a college class to, to learn how to break it down. Um, it's like God dumbed it down for me, and that's a big win because that rarely happens in my life. Now, I don't know about you. This may be unique to my marriage. <clears throat> Probably not, but me and my wife are two very different people. Um, she asks me where I want to go to eat or what I want to eat. I'll usually respond with something like, I'd like chicken, and I'll, I'll follow it up with a couple of chicken places we could go to. And, and because we're in the South, I think by law in Second Opinions, verse 4, I have to say Chick-fil-A. It's like written somewhere that if you're in the South and you're a Christian, you have to eat at Chick-fil-A. Now, if I'm in a really good mood, I'll say something like, I'd like steak, followed again by a couple steak places. Now, my wife, on the other hand, answers very differently. If I ask her, hey, where would you like to eat today? You know, is there something you want? And she'll be like, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever's fine. Now, that may seem like an easy answer. It may seem like the love never ends wife response version, right? Be warned, you would be, you would be wrong, okay? There is something she wants, and whatever is not it. 
and God help me if I get it wrong, because more than likely the you know consequences are going to be catastrophic, and I'm probably going to hear the words, I shouldn't have to tell you what I want to eat, but that's neither here nor there. So usually with scripture, it's, it's like trying to find out what my wife wants to eat. I have to dig in it, I have to come in it, think back to other stuff that, you know, other places she wanted to eat or other scriptures I read, and so... When I see something that's this easy, I, I usually want to throw the deuces, drop the mic, and leave. Um, and I can't do that because I still have a few more minutes left. But, and, and for those of you who don't know my wife, there's a good chance I may be exaggerating that story just a tad bit. My wife's actually pretty cool. She's giving me the look over there. Um, I'm just happy that I tricked her into marrying me. So anyway, so we got it. Love never ends. That's a pretty easy statement to get. So let's look at the rest of the verse. When we continue reading in verse 8, we read about three gifts. And you may remember them from week one with Pastor Kevin, as they're three of the gifts he talked about in verses 1 and 3 of this chapter. And the gifts mentioned are prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. I want to pause real quick and talk about gifts. Gifts have always seemed pretty cool to me, um, mostly because I don't think I have cool you know, spiritual gifts. I, I'll read scripture, and I'll read about prophets prophesying. I'll read about... Uh, the early church speaking in tongues or, you know, the Daniels and the Solomons and the great wisdom they had and knowledge. And sometimes I'll even see people have some just awesome visual spiritual gifts and it blows my mind. And a lot of times, you know, there'll be someone will ask me, hey, what's your spiritual gift? And normally I give them a stupid look and I'll be like, "Uh, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. (laughs) And so because I don't think I have cool spiritual gifts, a lot of times, I'll have gift envy of other people's gifts. And it, it's funny because last week, if you recall, Pastor Nate talked about this very subject of, of, of gift envy. And usually when I tell people, they'll be like, hey, you know, you should be thankful for the gifts that you have. And you know what? They're absolutely right. But just because they're right doesn't mean it's easy to stop being envious. So um, it's funny, though. I think sometimes we look at spiritual gifts as not being reality as being something different compared to physical talents. We can watch uh, the Super Bowl or the World Series or we can watch a singer on stage performing and and it's okay to be like, man, I wish I could throw a a touchdown in a a Super Bowl or hit a grand slam in the World Series or or sing anywhere outside of my shower. And (laughs) that's okay, but when we start talking about spiritual gifts, Suddenly, everybody gets holy and proper. You know, it's, it's okay to talk about physical stuff, but not spiritual gifts. And the thing is, is envy can run the gamut of things. It, it can run from gifts. It can run from houses to IQs to everything in between. And all of it is something that can be dangerous when we start having envy or coveting stuff we don't have. Because there's a problem when you start wishing for gifts that we don't have or focusing too much on the gifts that we do, we can spend our whole lives focusing on gifts and in the process forget why gifts exist. You see, the church in Corinth, they prize spiritual gifts. They long for them. And longing for gifts isn't necessarily a bad thing. In the previous chapter, chapter 12, Paul actually tells the church of Corinth that there are some gifts that they should, uh, should long for, that they should strive for. I mean, gifts are how God advances a kingdom. It's how he shows his glory to the world. But the problem is the church in Corinth had started to put gifts 
above the gift giver. Now, there's a word for that in Scripture, putting something before God. Do you guys know what it is? That's right, it's idolatry. Because the danger is we can start seeing gifts as being an example of how great we are instead of how great God is. I want to be very clear, gifts are not bad, okay? Gifts are not bad. We all have gifts, and we all should be using them. But the problem is gifts don't last. Let's look at the, what happens to the gifts talking in verse 8. Prophecies and tongues, what happened? Oh, yeah, they pass away. How about knowledge? Yep, they end. But love never ends. And when you strive for love, you strive for the eternal. I want to end the discussion on verse 8 with this. Pastor Kevin talked about it the first week. Uh, Pastor Nate talked about it a little bit last week. But the Greek word for love that is used in this verse is agape love. Agape love is not a passive love. It is the act of love of God, the act of love of the Father. And we have to be intentional with showing love, even if we don't feel like it. You know, Christ told us that we're to love our enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't naturally love my enemies. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and wonder how they're doing or if they need anything or maybe if they need to bring a casserole or a quiche by that day. Um, But I made a decision to follow Christ. And when we make a decision to follow Christ, we make a decision to love, even when our heart says, hey, strive for love, strive for the eternal. Let's move to point two or the second G. Uh, this This is grace. Write this down. Grace is showing love in spite of failings. Grace is showing love in spite of failings. Look at verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, when Paul wrote this, he was talking about the gifts in in verse 8. But being the simple guy I am, I like to break everything down to its lowest level. And so I paraphrase, paraphrase this verse with, we don't know with certainty. You could even cut it further down to we don't know. Notice how it keeps saying in this verse, in part. You could even say it's incomplete. In 1 Peter 1, at the end of verse 5, Peter, um, addressing the audience of his letter, says that it's ready to be revealed in the end. You see, Scripture shows us that we don't know everything right now. Not everything has been revealed. We only know in part. And I think the problem is, as human beings, we can think higher of ourselves than we really are. Like, we're all-knowing or we're smarter than we really are. You may have heard it said in church um, or in Bible school that we serve a God that's bigger than we are, that we can't fully understand God. And And I believe that. But while I believe that, I regularly fall into the trap of leaning on my own understanding. I can say that I believe God, but in reality, what I believe in is myself. I regularly fall into the trap of when people think things that are different than me or believe things that are different than me, they're wrong and I'm right. I think we do that a lot as society. You can look around. Just We could have a conversation about gun control and gun rights, uh, Republicans versus Democrats. Maybe afterwards we could talk about Syrian refugees or immigration. Even here in a church where we strive for love, where love abounds, we can have relationships torn apart if certain powder keg subjects are brought up. I I don't know what it is like back in the day. 
I'm not that old, even though I look like it. <laughs> in this church, I'm old, apparently. But it seems like to me in America that we have lost the ability to disagree respectfully with people. We have lost the ability to respect people, even if their opinions are different than ours. You know, in Ephesians uh, 2.8, Paul says this, For by grace you have been saved. You know, our salvation is not because of anything that we have done. It is by grace and grace alone. And when you look in the Gospels, when you look in Scriptures, you see that Jesus hung out with sinners, he forgave sinners, and he loved sinners. Almost all of us have probably heard the John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He loved us. He died for us. Why? Because we were sinners. And over and over, we can see love in Scripture. And we may think that's great in theory. But when it comes to what we do, when it comes to our actions, it seems like we do anything but show love. And I think part of the problem with that is that because we believe in a concept of justice, that the, the bad will be punished, that there are some things that are just too evil, just too wrong, to be forgiven. We believe rightly that sin will be punished, but we forget the grace that we were shown. You know, Jesus paid a pretty heavy price to give us that grace. A very heavy price. And you know, I'm guilty of it. Maybe you've heard of it. But there's been times in my life where I've sat and said, I know we're supposed to forgive. I know we're supposed to love. But I just can't forgive that person. I just can't love that person. And I think we do that because we know we're right. And we don't believe in God. We don't believe his way is better than ours. Now, luckily, we serve a God of love and a God of grace. And that grace is the key because it's easy to forget Christ's love and instead focus on religion. And that can be problematic. You see, religion doesn't show grace very well. Religion has a pretty bad track record when you look through history of modeling grace and love. Churches have gone to war over differences in doctrine. They have split over subjects like baptism, communion, the Trinity, and even the colors of the carpet. I want to share a story with you. This is from the Columbia Daily Herald. And this is just a small portion of an article written a couple years ago called Splitting Hairs. And the story is about a Presbyterian church uh, in the little town of Centerville, Georgia. Uh, the town has a population of around 5,000 people. The original church was the Presbyterian Church of Centerville. In 1911, the church had its first split over a pretty big doctrinal argument on whether or not uh, to take up the offering before or after the sermon. It couldn't be resolved, and so the church split, and a new church became the Centerville Reformed Presbyterian Church. Now, that church lasted about four years before it had another huge doctrinal disagreement about whether or not flowers should be in the sanctuary or not. And so that church split, and the new one was called the Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church of Centerville. I I'm going to just caveat, there's going to be a point, there's going to become a point where I start pronouncing some of these things wrong, so just bear with me. So a total of seven more splits over various issues occurred, and by 1931, the latest edition was named the Third Westminster Trinity Covenant Presbyterian Reformed Church of Centerville. More splits occurred over uh, conservative and liberal uh, doctrine within the denomination, and the 48th split occurred when the members of the Second Street, First, Ninth Westminster Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church 
split over an argument on whether or not it was a violation of the Sabbath to check your email on your personal computer. The new church took the name the Presbyterian Totally Reformed Covenantal West Ministerian Sabbatarian Regulative Credo Communist A Millennial Presuppositional Church of Centerville. I know I pronounced some of those words wrong. I'm sorry. Um, this is for a town of 5,000 people. And if you haven't figured out, they now have 49 Presbyterian churches in that town. The teaching elder, a Paul Davis of the newest church, was quoted as saying, I think we finally got it right now. We have a church with 100% doctrinal purity. We're up to six people on Sundays now. I know the numbers are not important, but we're hoping to grow a little bit. You know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry when I read that. Because it's funny when viewed from the outside. But in places where love should abound, this happens all the time. And the problem is, is it occurs because of an arrogant, unbiblical belief in our own truths and not God's. We stand on our beliefs that we're the only ones who are right and anyone different is wrong. Verse 9 clearly says we only know in part. You know, most of us have heard the saying, no one is perfect. I mean, I've said it. I believe it because I know I'm not perfect. So if no one is perfect and we don't show grace when we perceive failings in others, will grace be shown to us? No, grace is the foundation of our Christian beliefs. I want to share a story with you. Some of you may or may not know I do missions work in Asia. And so in January, I was in a Buddhist country. And uh, my one of my guys on a trip with me woke up early and was able to have breakfast with a family that lived next to where we were staying. And so they asked him if he was a Christian. He said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And they asked him to pray over breakfast because they, they were confused on why we as Christians prayed for, for blessings because when they prayed, they prayed uh, for good luck. And, and he said something pretty interesting to him, uh, apparently interesting enough that I'm sharing it with you here. But what he said was this. He goes, when you pray for luck, you're praying based on your belief in the system of karma, that what goes around comes around. If you do good, good will come back to you. If you do bad, bad will come back to you. You know, that's justice. Most of us like that idea, that the good are rewarded and the bad are punished. But what he told them was that when we pray for blessings, we're praying for blessings and we're praying for something that is completely undeserved. We don't deserve it. It is given to us from God's grace. And it's by his grace that we are saved. Because the thing is, is God doesn't ask us for perfection. He asks us for commitment. As Christians, we show grace because we don't know everything, because we only know in part, because not everything has been revealed. We show grace not because it's deserved, but because it is love. And if we want to leave a legacy, if we want to leave something that lasts, then we have to strive to show grace. In the first point, I talked about agape love and how we have to be intentional. And we have to be intentional with showing grace. I think anyone in here would be hard-pressed to come up with one example in history where a cause has been advanced through hate. Hate builds up walls. Love breaks through walls. And Christ modeled that for us. And if he is our Lord, we need to do the same. 
So we talked about how gifts don't last, that love does. We talked about how grace is showing love in spite of failings. So let's move to growth. And if you're only going to pay attention to one thing here, pay attention to this point. It is key. Write this down. Growth naturally leads to love. Growth naturally leads to love. Has anyone ever done something for the first time and been the best at it? Anyone? And I'm not talking about being lazy because I'm pretty good at being lazy. (laughs) Maybe the best is too much of a standard. Has anyone ever done something for the first time and been great at it? Anyone? Well, I'm from Wisconsin. And so because I'm from Wisconsin, I, uh, I love cheese. That is a true statement. But... Automatically have to go for Green Bay Packers. So Aaron Rodgers, where's Jeremy? I know Jeremy's going crazy right now. Anyway, Aaron Rodgers. Do you think Aaron Rodgers, the first time he picked up a football, was as good as he is now? Do you think like when he was in peewee football, he picked it up and just automatically threw a 60-yard touchdown in the end zone? I mean, think about this. You got peewee Aaron. Most of you have seen a peewee football game. If you haven't, you've seen it on social media or YouTube. So you got these little tiny bodies and the big giant bobbleheads, right? <laughs> and so you got bobblehead peewee football player running down the field 60 yards. He gets the end zone and just gets lifted right off his feet by a 60-yard bullet, right? You got peewee Aaron Rodgers doing the discount double check, right? Do you think it happened that way? Of course it didn't happen that way. So how did little bobblehead peewee football Aaron Rodgers get to NFL starting quarterback Aaron Rodgers? He got there through practice. And not just any practice, but correct practice. I mean, anybody could, could practice something wrong and they'll just be better at doing something wrong than anyone else. That's been my problem a lot. And so if you ask any world-class athlete, anybody at the world-class level, most of them will tell you that it takes 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours. Again, 10,000 hours of correct practice to get to that world-class level. And our faith is the same way. If you look at verse 10, it says that when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Our faith and salvation should be about growth. We should constantly be striving for perfection. Well, Jesus is the perfect. He's the example we're aiming for. He's what we're striving for. I'd like to share with you guys some of the struggles I had when I first got saved. So when I first got saved, I had a tad bit of an anger problem. <laughs> and uh, I still have an anger problem, but, you know, God has really transformed me. But when I first got saved, I had a huge anger problem. And when I would get mad, I would get Angry Bunny mad. And if you don't know what Angry Bunny mad is, it's really, really bad. And so someone would do something, they would say something, and I mean, I would snap on a dime. And I would just go crazy. No matter how hard I tried to stop that response, I failed at it. Someone would do something, I would get mad. And every single time, I would destroy my witness. In fact, here's a specific example of one of those times. So Three months after I got saved, I became a Sunday school teacher in the church I was in uh, for the adult class. And I will tell you straight up front, that is a horrible, horrible idea. Um, you know, I'm so thankful that there wasn't cameras filming like there is now because I said some of the dumbest things I can imagine. And so 
go figure, I said something that wasn't unbiblical. And this guy, and, and I'm friends with this guy today, great guy, he lovingly tried to correct me and show me in Scripture what it really meant, and it didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. And so I may have used some enhancing words not normally found in the Christian thesaurus dictionary thing we're supposed to use. You know, and this is in a church where I'm a Sunday school teacher. And so it's funny now. It's I can laugh at it now, but at the time, it just destroyed me. Because no matter how hard I tried to walk out my new faith, no matter how hard I tried to be a good Christian, I just failed over and over again. But there was one thing I did right. The one thing I did right was I committed to going in the Scripture and learning about God. And the funny thing was that as I continued to go into Scripture, as I continued to learn more and more about Him, He started to change me. He started to transform me. I stopped getting angry so fast. And when I did get angry, it stopped being so bad. The thing was, the more I grew in my faith, the more I grew in my knowledge of Him, the more my angry responses became loving responses. And that's the key. That's what growth does. If God is love and we strive to be like him, then it naturally makes sense to say that when we become him, or when we read about him, when we pray to him, we start to reflect him. The more that comes in, the more that of him that comes out. He changes us. That's what growth does. Now, nothing can be that simple, right? Well, just like a world-class professional has to practice correctly, we need to learn correctly, okay? I love reading about the Bereans in Scripture, okay? The Bereans, if you don't recall, Acts 17, they were members of the church in Berea. And Paul praised them because every single day they went into Scripture and uh, to see if what he said was true. Now think about it. It's really easy when you have 66 books of the Bible that fit right here. It's really easy when you look at this right here or your phone and you can get every single translation that has ever been right here. They didn't have all that, okay? What they had to do was every single day they had to go to the synagogue. And they had to look through the scrolls, pull out the right scroll, maybe open up the scroll, read through it. Oh, yep, right here. He's telling the truth. I found it, guys. <laughs> you know, for some of us, it's difficult to go to church once a week. And we have cars. <laughs> they, had to, they had to go there every single day. And when they got there, they had to do a research project. Maybe that's something we should be doing. You remember when I talked about how uh, when I was trying to find out what my wife wanted to eat, I had to continually dig and think back to other things. That's what we need to do with Scripture. We have to continually go in there. What the Brians did is they did the work themselves. They put the time in, and that's what we have to do. What we don't need to do is rely on what some pastor tells us, you know, at least not with testing it against truth. God's word is truth. And think about it. With all the things that society and culture has flip-flopped on, on what is true 
and what is wrong and what is bad and everything in between. God's word has never changed. It has always remained truth unerring. It has never flip-flopped. It has never gone back and forth. And when you get into truth regularly, what you find is that the truth makes you more like him. But here's the secret. You have to put in the time. So here's kind of a depressing fact, okay? Um, I talked about the 10,000-hour standard, right? So if you put in one hour a day, one hour a day, reading God's Word, reading books on them, going to them in prayer, it will take you just over 27 years to get to that world-class standard. Some of us struggled to get to church once a week and have for an hour a pastor or worship leader tell them or sing to them about God. If you do that, if that's the way that you get fed, if you go to church 52 times a year, it will take you just over 192 years to get to the world-class level. That's kind of a crazy number. I mean, you can check my math, but that seems like a pretty large amount of time. And I don't say this because I want to discourage you. The reason I say this is because I want you to see that it doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional with going into God's Word. So our last point comes down to this vital truth. Focus on growth, because growth will naturally lead to love. It's that simple. But it can be scary. You know why? Because if our actions are reflections of what's in our heart, some of us have a heart problem. If what we're reflecting isn't God, if what we're reflecting isn't love, what is it? And you know what? If it's not, do you know what you need to do? Stop worrying about it, okay? Focus on growth. You can't change anything in your life. You can't change anything in your life. Focus on growth and let God turn you into someone else. Because your actions are just going to naturally reflect what is coming in. And the funny thing is, it won't be you that will be coming out. It won't be you that will be making a difference in the world around you. Know this. When you commit to knowing Jesus Christ, he will transform you. Your growth will naturally lead to love. It will naturally lead to the eternal. It will naturally lead to the perfect. And when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So let's recap this, this message, okay? We talked about three things today, the three Gs, gifts, grace, and growth. From the very first words of our passage, we learned how vital love is, how important, how it is the most essential function of the body. Love is everything. It pushes everything in our lives to being a reflection of Christ. Without it, we have nothing. You know, verse 8, we talked about how gifts ends, but love doesn't. So strive for love. We learn that grace is showing love in spite of failings, which is, is pretty key because grace is the foundation of our belief system. Without grace, we have no salvation. And lastly, we talked about how growth 
naturally lead to love. When you focus on growth, love is a byproduct of that. It is a byproduct of drawing closer to God. It is Him being reflected in our lives like the sky is reflected in the seas. You know, I know several people who have just this amazing knowledge of Scripture. You may know some people who are like that. It does not matter what subject you give them, what topic it is. They will tell you what book of the Bible it is, what chapter, and what verse it is. I'm not one of those people, if any of you guys are wondering. Um, But there's one guy in particular. He's a great friend of mine. This guy knows more about doctrine and scripture of anyone I've ever met in my life. It, It just blows my mind. And all of that knowledge, all of that knowledge of God's word is for nothing. It's for nothing because he doesn't have love. He chooses to stay in his hate instead of choosing to strive for love. And without love, you can't put into practice or use the gifts that God has given you. Love is that vital ingredient that makes living the life possible. So the question I asked at the beginning of this message was this. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for? Gifts? I mean, if you haven't figured out that gifts aren't what you should be striving for, I failed somewhere along the line in the sermon. Gifts and love is what you need to strive for. How about success? There's a lot of people in this room, and I'm one of them, who for a long time thought success was how I would leave my mark. Well, here's the funny thing about success. You only find success using the gifts that God has given you. And if that is true, and gifts end, then when your life ends, your success ends. And so even in your success, you fail. But love doesn't fail. Love never ends. So what path do you choose? What path are you going to leave your legacy with? Because the choice in the end is up to you. And the tragedy is you can spend your whole life working and slaving away day to day for something that will die with you. Something that has no eternal meaning. But when you choose love, when you choose to make love the center of your life, You choose that vital ingredient that truly makes living the life possible. It changes everything. Because when you choose love, you choose God. If God is love, then choose God. All your gifts will pass away. Knowledge and achievements will fade. But love is the perfect that never ends. Because seeking love is seeking the eternal. Thank you for joining us for Vital, a production of Awakened Church. Next week, we learn the importance of spiritual maturity seen through the lens of love.